Hey, welcome to night school. It's been a couple weeks. It's been a fucking crazy couple weeks. You know, interestingly, in the last, I don't know, half a week, they arrested a, a killer. They arrested a killer in that Delphi murders case, which I've, I've talked about on here before. You know, it's one of the only true, quote-unquote, true crime cases that I've followed in the last number of years. I've only been, you know, I've only paid attention to it this year, I think, as I heard about it. But they finally arrested a guy. It's one of those cases that gets a lot of attention. It has a very devoted following online, which naturally brings out people who are just out of their minds or just stupid. You know, I don't like to say that. I I try to not view people as stupid, but... You see the way people are. I mean, I, and I don't even think these are stupid people. I don't think at their core you would say that they have any kind of actual cognitive issue. But there's something about people who are drawn to quote-unquote true crime, which I hate that phrase. I hate it even more now that people refer to themselves as the true crime community. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I always go on rants on here about anytime someone applies the word community to something that isn't a community. What the fuck is the true crime community? The true crime com- as a member of the true crime community. What what's a community? Because you talk to other people about it. Like, is talking to other people about a subject does that does that make it a community? But anyway. Uh, you know, one thing I noticed with the quote-unquote true crime community is just how many people want to view the world through the lens of a movie. And life does feel fictional. You know, it's not like life doesn't feel unreal, surreal, and fictional all the time. Because it does, it does for me. But how they want everything to have this sort of movie effect. And you see this with the way that, that people view true crime, like the motivations, like how things work, how a crime is committed. And so they arrested a guy in this Delphi case, and it, it, of course it's somebody that nobody had ever publicly mentioned ever, which is often the case. I mean, you know, I've mentioned on here, like the, the last really big cold case that I followed, the last serial killer I was interested in, before I lost interest in that subject, was uh, Joseph D'Angelo. At the time, nobody knew who he was because he hadn't been caught, but I had followed that original Night Stalker, East Area Rapist, what they later dubbed, what revisionists later dubbed the Golden State Killer. I followed that very closely for a few years, and then uh, they, they arrested him. And he, of course, was a guy that nobody had ever mentioned as a suspect, as a person of interest. Meanwhile, these people who, who spent all day theorizing about it online came up with a million names that they, they were convinced did it. Everybody wants to be this little Nancy Drew who solves the case from behind their computer. You know, everybody wants, everybody likes that idea. Like, that. And here's the thing, I mean, it's a catch-22, because all of these people who obsess over these cases online, on one hand, they bring a lot of publicity to it, you know, and that's a good thing. 
when there are these cases that are going unsolved, the fact that people are obsessing over it does bring a lot of publicity to it. It leads to, you know, mainstream outlets covering it. It just, it gets the word out there. But very rarely does the public, especially outside of, of the, like the public who, who have no direct connection to the case, like it's one thing if it's the actual community where these crimes took place. But, you know, you have people in freaking Scotland who are like, my, I have a person of interest. I, I've identified a person of interest in this unsolved murder from California. But it becomes religious. People develop these suspects. You know, and I've, I've witnessed this now a couple times. I, I, I witnessed this first with the, the original Night Stalker case, what ended up being Joseph D'Angelo, where people like had a suspect in mind. How they found them, I don't know. And then they made it. They made all of the evidence fit that suspect. They doubled down on it. They developed these these factions online. Like when I used to go to this message board about, you know, the original Night Stalker, it was crazy because there were these factions of people who were almost religious about their own theory. Meanwhile, these people have nothing to do with the case. These are just people like me or, or you. You. They're like you. <laughs> but uh, they're just they're just people, you know, and yet they doubled down on these ideas about who did it, how it was done, and why. And it often fits some sort of movie vision. You know, thinking about the original Night Stalker, there was this entire group of people online who were convinced that it was this, you know, 70-something-year-old Vietnam veteran he was a hero. He had, he had gotten some kind of medal. I don't think I don't think it was the Medal of Honor, but he was some kind of celebrated Vietnam hero who happened to live in the same places where these crimes happened. But there was nothing else linking him. Like he was an athletic guy. Like he still um, he still uh, you know did like biking marathons or whatever you call them, triathlons, even into old age. So he was a very athletic guy. But he wasn't a criminal. There were, I don't know how these people found this guy. But, you know, nothing, nothing stops these people. Nothing stops these mentally ill freaks who get obsessed with something like this. And uh, they discovered this guy and they were convinced. They came up with this whole theory that this, this Vietnam veteran was being, that he killed all these people. He was being protected by the government because they didn't want the shame of having a war hero turn out to be a serial killer. So they came up with a conspiracy theory that this guy was being protected for this reason. And then this message board that I would read where it was just people, you know, and it was a good message board, you know, because I mean, you know, it, it, a lot of people with probably an unhealthy interest in that case, but there was a lot of really interesting analysis and theories. There were a lot of people who were coming from a good place. But then this whole group of people who, we're basically trying to, to ruin this innocent man's life for what reason? I don't know. Like this guy had never, to my knowledge, he had never been linked to anything criminal. There was nothing in his past that ever suggested he was, you know, a, a bad person, let alone a mass, a mass rapist serial killer, but people doubled down. And then I remember like the, the message boards, moderators, 
started they started to discourage people from talking about that guy like they would they would delete posts or ban people <laughs> uh for talking about him for good reason cuz like people were doubling down they they were religious about this one guy being the culprit but then th- those people who already thought there was a conspiracy theory were like oh well because the, because the the serial killer message boards deleting my posts about him Clearly, there is a conspiracy. So, so just everything, everything proves that person's point who believes that. Apparently, and, and you know, so that was eye-opening to me because I, you know, I'd been interested in serial killers growing up. I'd read all the books, I'd read things online, but I'd never gone to like serial killer message boards. the The East Area Rapist, Original Night Stalker. That was the first time I'd ever gone to any kind of message board about a particular case. And, uh, you know, I did, I remember talking about that case, one of the first, uh, I think it's like every night to school night number 21. I don't know why I remember that, but I, I think I, I sampled clips from that case. I know it was one of the earliest ones. I, for whatever reason, I talked about it. It wasn't solved yet, but I talked about it on here. Probably 10 years ago, nine years ago, however long ago that was. Um, but uh, anyway, like more recently, for whatever reason, that, that Delphi murder stuck out to me. And I was like, you know, I'm interested in this. I think what it was is that video footage. It's the girl who got killed. Like she captured this video footage of the killer approaching her and her friend just moments before they were murdered. It's this grainy, low quality, pixelated footage. It's just eerie. And they're on this abandoned railroad bridge. It's just like everything, like the atmosphere of that. And you never see that. You know, in all of these these cases over the years, these brutal murders, like you never see something like that where it's like this girl captured footage of the man approaching. Like, yeah, occasionally these cases, like that Israel Keys case, they had footage of him kidnapping the barista from the coffee stand. You have things like that, but you know th- there was something about this footage of the guy approaching the girls on the abandoned railroad bridge that was just—it was like this little snippet, and it was so evocative. And then they, there was a recording of his voice, you know, famously telling them to go down the hill. So something about it just caught my interest, and uh, but I, you know, I so I, w- I would read about it occasionally, and then. This year, like it seemed like the investigation was ramping up. Like they they found out that the girls had been in contact with this Snapchat account, a catfishing snap, a catfishing Snapchat account, where where this like fat pedophile who lived the next town over was use was pretending to be a male model to get like nude photos from underage girls. And it turned out one of the girls who was killed had been in contact with this Snapchat account, this catfishing account, and I supposedly had had contact with that account the day she was killed. And the guy behind the account lived like the next town over and was a scumbag. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 if nothing else, it was an unholy coincidence, and maybe it is connected but they, of course, arrested a guy on Friday who nobody had ever mentioned. Because that's what I was going to say, is with this Delphi murders thing, 
people form these religions around certain theories. People aren't well, you know, they truly aren't like these people who are interested in true crime, like they, they, they're truly unwell. The only thing true about them is they're truly unwell, the truly unwell community. And so like there were people making YouTube videos from what I understand that, uh, you know, accused the girls' families of being responsible. They came up with theories and they were convinced that the girl's sister, the girl's dad, the girl's uncle, they did it. They would come up with these other suspects. Oh, this guy did it. You know, the, the girl's bodies had been found at the edge of this old drunk's property. It was an old drunk who, you know, sounds like a rough guy, but clearly he didn't do it. You know, the guy, you know, this is, this is a, you know, like a rural Indiana area. There's all kinds of, everybody's a drunk. Everyone else is on meth. You know, it's, it's just, it's just that kind of area. But they had found like the girl's bodies in this park, but technically their bodies were on this one guy's property. It was very clear this guy had nothing to do with the murders. You know, it, like he had a big piece of property and part of the part of his property is just woods that directly borders the park where the girls were abducted and killed. So it was just a matter of chance that their bodies were left there. I totally understand why police they investigated that guy. They did a search of his house for obvious reasons. But it, it was evident that he was not a suspect. He died during the investigation. But there were people who doubled down on the idea that he did it. He did it. He did it. And just like with the original Night Stalker East Area Rapist case, when they finally did arrest somebody, it was somebody none of these sleuths had ever even heard of. Some guy they had never even heard of. Nobody had ever mentioned this guy who just got arrested publicly. And interestingly, it turned out he was a, uh, he lived in the town, this tiny town of Delphi, which is like less than 3,000 people, apparently. He lived in this tiny town of Delphi. He worked at the local CVS. And there was some movie shit. The thing is, is like people want there to be even more movie type stuff. But there was some movie stuff like the girl's family came out and said, like, yeah, we interacted with him when we, we had to print photos for the girl's funeral. And so we had them printed at the CVS pharmacy and the guy who printed them was the killer. And he gave he gave us the photos for free, you know, ostensibly to be like, oh, you know, we can't charge you for the funeral photos because, you know, the, these murders like the, it impacted this entire little town. I mean, it put this little town on the map, unfortunately. Nobody ever, nobody's ever heard of Delphi, Indiana. And in this case put the town on the map. But it obviously had a profound impact on this tiny little town. These two girls were brutally murdered. The girl captured video of her killer as he approached them. But, you know, so this guy, like, he was working at the local CVS pharmacy. And, uh, you know, they print photos there. Like, not, like, developing photos, but, uh, you know, like, you can, like, give them your SIM card or whatever, and they'll print off photos, high-quality photos for you. And so the family did that before the funeral, apparently, to get, you know, to have photos of the girls on display. 
the guy who printed them off and rang them up was turned out to be the killer. So that is like a movie twist. The guy who killed the girls was the guy who they went to to have their photos printed, and he gave them the photos for free. And so he's this guy who's been living in, in that town for the last five years. And, uh, you know, there's questions as to whether there might have been other people involved because this, this whole thing with the, the pedophile and the, the Snapchat account, there's something there. There's something there. It's either one of the most unholy coincidences, which when you read about this stuff, there, there's a lot of them. There are a lot of unholy coincidences in these murder cases, things that just should defy probability but end up being true. But there, it, it still does feel like there's something to this Snapchat account. Maybe this killer was connected to the to the the pedophile. Maybe he like because he apparently used to live in the same town that they live in, which is a couple towns over. But there's a lot of towns around there. You know, it's like he could have lived in any town, but he happened to live in the same little town that the the pedophiles live in. So there could be something there, like maybe they were connected. Uh, it does seem very bizarre that this Snapchat account had contact with the girls the day they were murdered. And that this guy who did it, this guy who was just arrested, that he just happened to be at this secluded park. The girls just happened to walk across this abandoned railroad bridge where they were to- where there's a dead end and they were totally at the mercy of any man who cornered them there. That the killer just happened to be there with weapons and the desire to kill. You know, I mean, it's all very possible that the quote-unquote right set of circumstances could have uh, presented themselves for that to happen. But I can't help but feel like there's a little more. And they're, you know, despite arresting this guy, they're not giving any information. They're saying the investigation is ongoing. But uh, seeing the reaction to people has been really eye-opening. I mean, not that I expect too much from people, but the the day that the arrest happened, I was, of course, as someone who's been interested in the case, I was like, oh, I, w- I want to know as much as possible, too. Didn't take long before they found his wife's Facebook account. Didn't take long before they found his wife's Facebook account. So they've, they find this guy, they, the killer's wife's Facebook account because the guy doesn't have one and you see all these photos of him and his wife they just look like typical small town Midwestern people like his wife she you know there were a lot of posts where she was like me and the hubby went shopping today oh went out to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse best steaks ever oh here's me and the hubby and you know you could tell he looked like, you know, he's like a chubby, gray-haired guy with a goatee. He looks like a typical Midwestern blue-collar guy. And, uh, you know, he, he, like, and the, his wife would take selfies with him. And it just looked like a typical guy. Like, he does have creepy eyes. He does, I, I will admit, his eyes do have something. But, like, how much of that is confirmation bias? How much of that is influenced by the fact that you know this guy was just arrested for killing two young girls? That's a big part of it. 
but overall I looked at it and I was like, I wouldn't, nothing about this guy would raise any red flags. And clearly he didn't raise any red flags in town. Like nobody suspected this guy was the killer. We don't know how the cops determined that he did it, but this guy was able to coexist, you know, interact with the families. Cause the other thing too, is apparently like he was a regular at this bar where one of the murdered girl's moms worked. So she would serve him drinks. So this guy was just right there interacting with the families, just pretending to live this normal life. Meanwhile, he allegedly killed these girls, just wild stuff. Uh, but but anyway, like the, the wife's Facebook account got posted online and I was curious too. I mean, this guy was just accused of, especially because, you know, for for a long time, like people have been seeing this grainy video footage of the killer so naturally you want to know as much as you can about the man who that was you know you want to find out who he was who actually was this guy does he look like that guy does he fit the bill but you could see like instantly people are like i can just see his cold dead eyes oh my god look at his cold dead eyes like there's not a single photo of him smiling i was reading like reddit threads and i i fucking hate reddit to me it's just it's truly the worst of the worst as far as as far as the direction you know the internet went reddit for whatever reason is just the worst of the worst i call it the reddit abyss but unfortunately it's taken over like it's one of the only places where people discuss things anymore there's very few uh forums you know there's there's very few like if you're into something niche or if you're interested in a certain subject, there's very few standalone forums anymore. People just make these Reddit sites. And uh, so, I mean, to read about the Delphi case, it's like there's not really anywhere else to go except for these Reddit pages. So I was reading that. And like all these responses, like as as things were unfolding, like people were posting photos of him, linking the wife's Facebook. And it's funny, though, how like people... It's this form of virtue signaling that people do where it's like they have to point out like, oh, look, there's not a single photo of him smiling. Oh, you can just see that he has the eyes of a psyche. Another thing people do, I notice is like they, they feel the need to call the guy stupid names. Like I saw one where, because for years now, people have been calling the guy in the video bridge guy. I hate anything like that. I don't know what it is that rubs me the wrong way. Like, But people were calling the, the guy in the video that the girl made bridge guy because he was walking across the bridge. But I saw people were like, now we got to call him bitch guy. And, and you see where like people make these insulting remarks where like, look at this fucking asshole. Oh, look at this fucking asshole. They, they call the guy names and I don't know. It's this form of virtue signaling people do. And I understand where it's coming from. Like, it's not like you should be looking at this guy who was just arrested for the murder of two girls and be like, looks like a nice guy. Looks like a great guy. But I've noticed that people really go out of their way to like insult the guy. And like what they're doing is I think they're communicating to everybody else like, you know, I'm a good person. But it's like, just let it sit. You know that what this guy allegedly did. 
And there's something in human beings, though, that like they they need to like to react in this dramatic emotional way when these things happen. Like, look at this monster. Look at this asshole fucking monster. They go out of their way. It's it's very performative. I've noticed. You know, because if you're a, if you're a normal rational human being, with any you know, with, with even like a, a a reasonable moral compass, a decent moral compass, like you're gonna be like, yeah, this guy killed two girls. That says everything. This is a bad guy. I don't like this guy. But there's this performative side of it where it's like, look at this fucking asshole. Look at him. Look at his cold, dead eyes. You can just tell from his eyes. You can just tell from his eyes that this is the type of guy who would kill two girls. So people like have that, they, they feel the need to express themselves that way. But that's one thing. That's just that's that's totally fine if people want to say that. I just notice the tendency to do that. But the thing that's even worse is people start going to his wife's Facebook page and like reacting to the images. Like, you know, you can react to somebody's image on Facebook with like an angry face. And like and I'll totally admit, I was curious too. I wanted to see who this guy was. I wanted to see what his wife was like. I was curious. This is a big case. You know, I wanted to see, but like I noticed that like a bunch of people were reacting to all of the wife's images with angry faces. With angry emoticons. Angry emojis. And you know what? I wanted to know who they were. I was like, who are those people who just can't resist? Who are the people who go to this guy's wife's Facebook page who, who never met them in their life? The man's just been arrested for murdering two girls and react with angry emojis to the, to her photos of her family. And sure enough, they were all younger women. Women aren't doing well. You know, women really aren't doing well. Young women aren't doing well. Not saying these women in particular are, are a, a good sample, but they are in their own way. I mean, I, there's many of them out there. And it was all like fairly attractive younger women. I would say women between the ages of like 28 and 40 were going to this wife's Facebook page and reacting and commenting on her posts. This poor woman, like, you know, who knows what the story is? For all we know, the wife turned him in. But that's the thing is people immediately came up with these theories where they were like, I know the wife knew. How could she not know? And there was a photo, uh, and this just shows you like people seeing things through the movie lens where like the wife had posted a photo of their daughter at the bridge. And keep in mind, this bridge, this is that tiny town. This bridge is just like five minutes from town. It's a local landmark. From what I understand, like people take their prom photos at the bridge. The reason the little girls, the reason why like the girls who got killed were at the bridge was for the same reason. It's a place where people just go, they take photos, they hang out. It's it's a it's just a, a part of the local area and like everybody goes there. When people take like their senior photos for high school, they might take them at the bridge. We have places like that here. You know, there's certain places in Olympia, there's certain places in every freaking town where people just take photos of themselves. Uh, they're scenic. 
And so like the wife had posted this photo of her daughter sitting on the bridge where the girls got abducted. The photo was posted after the murders, like a year after the murders. But apparently the photo had been taken years earlier for the daughter's high school yearbook. But people came up with this whole theory where they're like, the wife's in on it, and her and her husband are sick. They had their daughter take photos on the bridge because they're sick, and they wanted to taunt people because the husband killed the girls. They came up with this whole theory that this is all by design. And on top of that, you know, the daughter of of the the murderer, the alleged murderer, a heavy set girl. One of the girls who got killed was kind of heavy set, and all of a sudden, I, I was reading all these posts, and I'm not just talking one or two. I'm talking like dozens upon dozens, and maybe I shouldn't be reading this shit, but I'm fascinated by it. Dozens and dozens of people were like, "His daughter looks exactly like one of the girls who got killed," and they took a photo of the of his daughter on the same bridge where he killed the girls. His daughter doesn't look anything like the girl. The only similarity is they're overweight. But this gets into the whole thing that I I always talk about. You know, I always say on here, the two things that scare me about people, one are people who drive with their headlights off at night. Terrifies me. Just this black silhouette drifting around. Whenever I see someone driving for a significant length of time with their headlights off, terrifies me. Because I'm like, that person isn't there. It's easy to do that for a second. The other night I did it. The other night I became the, the very thing I'm terrified of. I was leaving my house, driving down the street, and uh, it had just gotten dark. And I realized, like, it was literally the street I live on. And I realized, like, this car up ahead kind of stopped, and they kind of, like, pulled off to the side until I went by. And then I realized, oh shit, they, my headlights were off and they were nervous about me, as they should be. But it's, you know, usually that's the sort of thing you notice very quickly. You know, you, you usually notice your headlights are off. You, you realize something's wrong very quickly. So it always terrifies me when someone's able to drive a significant length of time. And it's even scarier if they're not impaired. Like if you're drunk or high or something, that's that's a better excuse than if you're sober and doing it. But anyway, uh, the other thing that terrifies me is the way that people see faces differently. Like one thing that I will say, you know, there's a lot of things I'm not very good at. One thing that I really pride myself on is my ability to see similarities between faces like if two people look alike i think that my judgment on that is pretty accurate like i think they do look alike and this is something that miles and i have talked about since i've known him we've always talked about that like he he had a girlfriend like years ago miles had a girlfriend and he was joking about like who would play her in a movie and he pulled up an image of Ted Raimi, who I think is like a horror movie director. See, I don't even know. I didn't even know who Ted Raimi was, really. I didn't even know who Ted Raimi was. And uh, he pulled up his face, and right away I knew why. Like, his girlfriend was pretty. 
She was pretty. She was a pretty girl. But I knew exactly why he had associated her face with like Ted Raimi. <laughs> like I, it instantly clicked. Like she didn't look like a man. But I instantly saw like why there was a facial resemblance. Why there was, I don't know what you call it, like a phenotype. And uh, so he and I have always talked about this though. Where like some people though. They, and I, I, I've noticed this too with like being into, interested in the mafia. You know, because there will be like mafia surveillance photos. Or just photos of, of the mafia and like. People will identify them as somebody who they aren't, which is interesting. They'll think they'll they'll be like, "Oh, this guy in the surveillance footage is this guy." Meanwhile, it looks nothing like the real guy. It's just some some people just aren't able to see facial patterns like other people, and that tells you that those people are living in a different reality. Like when people don't see facial patterns the same way you do. Or they think that two people resemble each other who truly don't. And sometimes it's because there's a bias. Like sometimes people will be like, oh, he looks just like his father. I've heard people say that, you know, they'd be like, oh, he looks so much like his dad. Meanwhile, they don't look anything alike. But there's sort of a bias there where it's like because they know they're related, they tend to associate them. And maybe there's like a mannerism, you know, sometimes your mannerisms like, I know that, like, I don't look like my dad very much, but I know that we have some very similar mannerisms that I think are just biological. Like, we stand the same way, we gesture the same way. So, I mean, I think things like that can make you seem more alike. But when it comes to just your face, it's a totally different story. And it scares me when people don't see that the same way, when they think somebody looks like somebody who, who they don't look like. Or they, or they see a similarity between faces that just isn't there. It tells me that person's living in a different world than me. It tells me the headlights are off in their head. Maybe they're good at other things, but they're not good at that. But anyway, uh, you know, you see that with this because, interestingly, this guy got arrested, and. Uh, there were two. There were two uh, police sketches that had been released of the alleged killer, and the first one they discounted, even though it seemed like the more likely one. It was of an older man with a goatee and a hat, but the actual facial features of this guy didn't look anything like the guy who was arrested. Some of the other qualities did. This this guy was a middle-aged guy with a goatee who wore a lot of hats. But other than that, like the facial features didn't look like him. But when he was arrested, there were all these people online who were like, oh, my God, it looks exactly like the sketch. Oh, my God, it's him. And it's like, aside from the goatee, he really doesn't look anything like him. And then oddly, and I'm still waiting for the story on this. In 2019, you know, two years after the murders, they had released the second sketch where they said, forget the first sketch. This second sketch is the killer. This is the face of the killer. Oddly, though, the sketch they released that they said is the killer was of a guy who turned out to be much younger than the guy they arrested. Weirdly, though, the guy's facial features are a dead ringer for the guy they arrested. 
the age isn't. Some other things about the sketch aren't. But the eyes actually, I've seen where people online have actually done a direct facial comparison between the guy who was arrested and this second sketch of the seemingly much younger guy. And it, it actually looks like they drew the sketch's eyes from a photo of the guy they ended up arresting. And he also has a very unique nose shape. Not something that would be weird on its own. Like if you saw a guy with this nose in public, you wouldn't be like, that guy has a weird nose that stands out. That guy has a weird nose that stands out. But it's a very unique shaped nose that just a witness would have a difficult time describing. Like, I wouldn't even be able to describe it very well. But for whatever reason, this second sketch they released in 2019 that they were very confident is the face of the killer, facially, it very closely resembles the man they arrested. But the age of the guy in the sketch, his hair... It doesn't fit him at all. So it makes me wonder, like my current theory, my theory, is that they've known that this guy did it for a while, since 2019 at least. And for whatever reason, they, they, they drew a sketch with his facial features, likely from a photo of him, but changed other things about him to kind of misdirect maybe. Like maybe they were trying to get, maybe they were trying to get like his family members to cooperate against him or something by just making his face resemble him. Who knows? I mean, this could be my own outlandish theory, but it seems too coincidental that they became very confident in 2019 that this sketch represented the killer. Meanwhile, the sketch ended up being much younger than the killer and not, not having the same hair and, uh, you know, things like that, yet they did manage to capture his facial features very accurately. It just makes me wonder, was that as part of some sort of strategy? Like you wanted to capture the real guy's face very accurately, but you changed other things about the sketch so that it wouldn't be too obvious to him? Who knows? But I... I don't know, it always freaks me out when people see a resemblance between people when there is none. And something I've realized too is is how easily people are distracted by like superficial changes. Like people can see two guys with gray hair and a goatee and be like, they look exactly alike. Oh my God, they're twins. It's like people, some people's brains don't really comprehend facial features. They just, you know, it, it starts to make sense why somebody can just put on a stupid disguise and trick people. You know, you always think about like the guy who just puts on a mustache or like Clark Kent for that matter. Like people always make fun of the idea that like, oh, all Superman has to do is put on a pair of glasses and nobody knows who he is. Meanwhile, it seems like some people are tricked by that in real life. Like some people, like it seems like they really would be tricked by Superman putting on a pair of glasses and be like, it can't be Clark Kent. Superman, Superman can't be Clark Kent. He's got glasses. He looks nothing like him. I've really started to believe, and this isn't me thinking people are stupid. It's just like their brain power, some people's brain power just doesn't really work when it comes to facial patterns and, and facial similarities. 
And I think there's a lot of people out there who truly would be tricked by like a guy putting on a fake mustache. I think that like they're they're very uh, yeah they're very prone to uh, they're very distracted by like superficiality superficiality. We're just like the slightest like like a different haircut. You know, because we know those things can make a person look different. And some people in particular change a lot when they do very little. Like there are some guys who like if they grow a mustache or a goatee do look very different. They get a different haircut, you know, that, that changes how people perceive them. But I think like some people, the, the effect that that has, you know, it, it has a greater effect on some people. By the way, I'm drinking a Bang Energy. I was a little worried there. Apparently, Bang uh, declared bankruptcy. Bang declared bankruptcy recently. Because there were a couple weeks, about a few weeks, where there were no Bangs on the shelves in local stores. It was just empty. And I was like, I don't want to know. I saw that. They they weren't selling any Bangs. And I said to myself, I don't want to know. Finally, I was like, I, I gotta know. It's been long enough. And sure enough, Bang declared bankruptcy. I've noticed them back on the shelves. I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, li- life will go on. If, if Bang disappears, life will move on. But I went to the grocery outlet a couple days ago, and they have crates of Bang. I walked into in, near the entrance of the store. They had like an entire pallet of bang and they're selling them for 99 cents a pop. So I've, I've been buying, I've been drinking way too many. I've been drinking way too many bangs after not drinking any for weeks. I've been drinking so fucking many. I drank two yesterday. I think two the day before I, I can't be doing that. I'm going to try to drink one today, but I shouldn't even be drinking one per day right now. I'm drinking one right now. A blue Raz. But it was like heaven. Like after being a little bit worried, a little bit concerned that maybe Bang wasn't going to be around too much longer, going into grocery outlet and they just have crates of Bang. My favorite flavors too. Blue Raz, Cherry Blade Lemonade. I even bought a Purple's Gittles. They got a flavor called Purple's Gittles. Which, as it turns out, tastes like tastes exactly like purple Skittles. For copyright reasons, I guess they call it Skittles, which I hate to say. But, hey, who am I to question Bang? Just thought I'd point that out. It's been a while since I talked about Bang on here. So they're having some financial difficulty. I hope they manage to pull through. Life will move on. I would love to mourn Bang should it, should it disappear, but... You know, would I mourn Bang more than I would more than I mourn my mom's death or something? You know, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, just a little Bang commentary while I can still do it. I've been buying a lot of it. Because the thing was, they upped the price. You know, for for years, ever since I got into Bang, it was a two for four deal everywhere. Every store you go to, two for four. 
two bangs for four dollars. Then I noticed they upped the price. They changed it. I think they changed it to two for five. And that was around the time that inflation was hitting everything. So I was like, I don't know if this is just unique to bang or inflation. But I still paid it, you know, on occasion. I like the two for four deal more, but I, I still did the two for five as well. I thought, you know, I like bang. What's an extra dollar in this case? But uh, so seeing like grocery outlet having them for 99 cents, I'm like, I've got to take advantage of this and stock up. But that's resulted in me drinking a ton of bang. Drinking a ton of bang. Then while I'm hitting on the other news, I got two dogs with me right now. My friend's going through some stuff. And so her dog is staying with me. Her wonderful deaf dog. She's a really sweet deaf dog. She just likes to sleep and hang out. It's, a, it's definitely, a, it's crazy though. I'm like, man, like, I'm just this dude with two dogs living with me right now. You know, in, in this case, it's, I'm just taking care of her for a little while. But uh, suddenly I, I got two dogs. I'm responsible for two dogs. What else do I got? Do I have anything more to say about the Delphi case? I don't know. I just, I, I, I did I want to say a little more about the Facebook thing, about how all of these younger women, women I would say between their late 20s, I didn't see any super young women. And I don't even know that those women are on Facebook. Like, are there even any like 21-year-old girls on Facebook anymore? That doesn't seem like something they use. It's not cool. But I noticed that all these women, probably between the ages of like 28 to 40, were going through this guy's wife's Facebook and like reacting with the angry reaction, which like, I can't even imagine using that at all. I can't imagine being angry and using the angry emoji. And, and that goes into the, like the virtue signaling thing too, where like, reacting to this guy with anger like i understand the idea like this guy's a scumbag who most likely killed these two girls but people have this emotional response to it which is interesting and it becomes performative like going through this guy's wife's facebook and reacting with an angry emoji to all of her photos i mean it plays into something i've talked about too which is like there's something primal about attacking someone's family. Like we see it in politics. Like we see it in the way that people were so preoccupied with Trumpsfeld's kids. Like the way people attack Donald Trumpsfeld Jr. Like you don't have to like him, but people go out of their way to attack him. And you see that with, you know, Hunter Bin Biden as well. Where... Like the Hunter Bin Biden laptop story last year, the only bad thing about that was the mass censorship of that story, which turned out to be true. When that story linked, uh, le leaked, excuse me, when that story leaked, you know, Twitter and Facebook were banning all references to it. There were mainstream news corporations saying it was Russian disinformation. It, tended, it ended up being completely real. 
the issue wasn't that Hunter bin Biden was smoking crack, trying to make deals with Ukrainian companies, you know, whatever he was doing. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit about any of that. And I think it's actually funny. Like, I think Hunter bin Biden is funny that he just smokes crack and like has sex with hookers and videotapes himself naked in, in sensory deprivation tanks. Like, what do you expect from a politician's son, you know? I think Hunter bin Biden is a funny character. Nothing he does is, is upsetting to me, <laughs> you know? Uh, even if he was using, uh, even if he was using his dad to make business deals and his dad was getting a cut or whatever. Yeah. Like that's corrupt on his father's part. But if I was the son of a major politician like that, who knows? You know, I mean, I, I would probably be doing the same thing maybe. But the issue with that was just the mass censorship. Like, but in terms of like people, there, there are people out there though. There are Republicans who aren't just upset about the mass censorship that took place concerning that story. They actually feel the need to attack Hunter bin Biden. Like, what about Hunter bin Biden's crack problem? What about the scumbag bin Biden? You know, there's people who attack him just like people attack Trumpsfeld's kids. And that makes me think of like royalty. You know, you think about like killing the former king's kids or something. Like the idea of like wiping out the family line or almost like a, a Sicilian ven vendetta thing. Like in The Godfather where it's like they kill his father. So now they have to kill his his young son because someday that son could come back and kill him. You know, it's it's that sort of thing as well. I think that's built into us. The idea of like you know, seeing the, the children as an extension of the father and the family as an extension of the man, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, that's, I think there's something just built into us that views things that way. And so seeing the way people reacted to this mur this alleged murderer's family, like attacking his wife online, assuming that like, Oh, their their daughter is overweight, and she took a photo at the same place where the the girls were killed, which happens to be a scenic photo op location in the in this small town. It's all by design. The family's in on it. They knew. Go through all of her Facebook posts and react with an angry emoji. But I looked at. I I was very curious. I was like, who are the sort of people who, when a when a man is arrested for a horrible crime, who are the sort of people who don't just go through like I did and like want to see what his family was like, but who are the people who go through and can't resist reacting to the photos with an emoji? Who are those people? And I, I discovered that they were overwhelmingly younger women, women, I would say between the ages of 28 to 40. Many of them very pretty, interestingly enough. And uh, they're not well. And, and a lot of them, I went to their pages because I was really curious. I'm like, who is the sort of person who doesn't have the self-discipline and self-control to just look at this? Who is the person who thinks they have to react to it? And not just react in their own body, in their own mind, but actually like react with an emoji to this poor woman who just found out her husband killed two little girls. To not even think about her situation. To assume that she was in on it. 
or or even if you don't assume she's in on it, to think like that you need to harass her on Facebook. It's really crazy shit. And uh, these young women, though, it's like a lot of them very politically outspoken. I went to their Facebook pages. I was curious. I was like, who are these women who react with an angry emoji? And they were very, many of them very political. Many of them, their face, their own Facebook pages was a lot of like a lot of signaling, a lot of signaling of what a good person they are. Well, I can tell you a good person doesn't go to the, a wife's Facebook page of a man who was just arrested for murder and harass her. That woman is is in in the lowest place a human being could be, even if she did know, but was afraid to turn her husband in, or there was some sort of cognitive dissonance where she just couldn't admit to herself that her husband was the one who did it. And I mean, we know too, like, these young women who are doing this, like, they're obsessed with true crime. They spend all their time, you know, paying attention to true crime and they know all these stories about how easy it is for these guys to hide it from their family. Everyone knows about the BTK. Every, everyone knows about these guys. Many of these guys manage to keep it a total secret from their families. It's not like the signs are all there. So to immediately assume that the wife is somehow involved, but like, I don't know, this attacking of the family, because I learned, because it, it turns out like the next day, the wife and daughter of this guy deleted their Facebook pages for good reason. They're being harassed. At, at what's probably, I mean, what's obviously the worst moment of their lives. Their husband and father just got arrested for not just murder, but murdering two little girls in the town they live in. In a big publicized case. I mean, that's the, gonna obviously going to ruin their lives forever. They'll, they'll never recover from that. Even if, even if life moves on, they'll never recover from that. And right now they're being faced, they're staring it down. And, uh, but what I, what I learned in the last day is that, yeah, the wife and daughter deleted their Facebook pages, but the daughter's husband, who's a young Filipino man, what we call a young Filipino man, young Filipino People are going to his Facebook page. He's like a 21-year-old Filipino dude in Indiana. He looks like every other Filipino dude. I grew up with a bunch of them. There was, there was a, a pretty big Filipino community in the area I grew up in. Uh, really nice people. I, you know, the Filipinos I knew, they were all really nice. They were all cousins of each other. They were all some of the nicest kids around, to be honest. This guy, he looked like every other... Because I looked at his page, too. I was curious, too. Uh, and he looked like every every other Filipino dude I ever met. But people were going to his page saying, like, I, once again, young women. How could you not know? How could you not know your father-in-law killed those two little babies? Unhinged shit. Reacting to everything he posted with angry emojis. 
And something I've noticed in all this too, because I, I don't look at Facebook very much to begin with. Like I don't even check my own Facebook account very often anymore. But I certainly don't look at Facebook groups or like when something's trending, I don't like look at random people's posts. But I did that the day of the murders. I was curious. I was like, what are people saying about this? And I noticed like a lot of people talking in, in uh, something I've noticed about people who aren't well is they use a lot of exclamation points when they don't need to. Like I like a good exclamation point. It's not very manly. I do it a lot when I talk to women. Not even women, not even when there's anything weird or flirtatious. Like women seem to I don't know, women seem to uh like when you use exclamation points more. Like if you if you say to a girl that you know, "Oh, it was really nice to see you." And you use an exclamation point, like that's like speaking their language for some reason. Not all women are like that. I know plenty of women who don't, who probably don't like that. But a certain type of woman kind of likes when people use exclamation points to emphasize certain things. Oh, it was really nice to see you. And, uh, you know, so there's something about that. Like, you know, I've talked a lot about that, how like you, you tend to talk to people at their level. Like you, ideally you meet each other halfway. Like, if I'm talking to somebody who, say, sends text messages that are more proper, where everything is properly capitalized and, and punctuated, I'm more likely to do that, too. That's how I am normally. I'm normally somebody who prefers to send emails and text messages that are more proper. But I'm especially more likely to do it if I know the other person does it as well. Whereas if I'm talking to somebody who it's all lowercase, it's all casual, it's all shorthand, I might not go that far, but I'm more likely to not dot my sentences and everything. I'm more likely to not use proper punctuation and things. You kind of meet the other person at their level. It's the same thing if you're talking to somebody verbally. You know, if you're talking to somebody who you think has a certain vocabulary, you're not going to use big words. Not because you think they're stupid, you're just like, this, is, this isn't the sort of conversation. I think, you know, you sort of meet people on their level when you communicate with them. Uh, but anyway, exclamation points. For some reason, I know women, certain types of women, they tend to, to talk more in exclamation points when they type. I like a good, well-placed exclamation point. It doesn't feel very manly to use a lot of them. It feels unnatural as a man to use too many exclamation points. I like to use them on occasion, though. I think they exist for a reason to show like a... I don't use them to suggest yelling. Like when I use an exclamation point, it's like it's emphasis. It's like a, a rise in voice. It's a rise in your voice. It's, it's sort of like it, it's an inflection thing or something. But something I noticed, like reading a lot more random posts from people online after they arrested this guy on Friday, I noticed the number of people who just type in exclamation points. And another, another unhinged thing people do is like there are people who emphasize 
tons of words in a sentence with all caps. Like, not people who type in all caps all the time, but they'll emphasize a lot of words with all caps. Like, if I were to, to do that in that sentence, I would have written words in all caps. And to me, it shows somebody who's unhinged. Like, somebody who's using a lot of caps unnecessarily, typing in exclamation points. They're not well. And so, like, cases like this, you know, something like a big arrest that a lot of people have been, in a case that a lot of people have been following, you really get to see not just the fact that there's this guy who did something awful, an evil man, an evil man, what we call an evil man, did something horrible, and now we have a face to put with it, we have a story behind it. It's that you get to see how everybody, you get to see how unwell everybody else is, too. You get to see, like, also, like, how how much, like, fiction has shaped people's brains. Because the one thing that stood out to me as well is people are so angry that, like, law enforcement isn't telling us everything. They're so angry that the police just didn't immediately tell us everything about the investigation. Like, they think it's a movie. They think it's Scooby-Doo, where now that the killer has been identified... They just do a press conference where they tell you everything. You know, there's, there's got to be a trial. They're still wrapping things up. Why would they tell the public everything that you want to know? Like, people forget that this is a case where a man killed two girls. They want to convict that man of this crime. And the only important thing is justice for the girls, justice for her family, and getting this guy off the streets. It's not about entertaining the public, but people start to think that way. They become personally invested. Just like they become personally invested in like having their own little suspect who they think did it. And this is why it happened. They come up with their own theories. They, they become religious about it. In that same way... They feel that they deserve to know everything as if they were intimately involved in the case. Like, I would like to know more, too. I understand the the impulse. Like, I've been reading way more than I should about this case the last few days because I'm like, what else can we find out? What else is there, like, about this guy? What else can we learn about this guy? I'm curious, too. It's natural to be curious. But you can see some people are very angry that they're not being told everything right away. Oh my God, they're not telling me everything. That's how people react to it. They, they're personally invested and they don't, they don't even understand, like, despite being obsessed with true crime, like, they don't even understand how the justice system works. The basics of it. You also get to see, you know, people become gatekeepers. Like, I was reading this Reddit page. Like I said, I, I, I consider Reddit an abyss. The Reddit abyss... But it's the only place to really read about this stuff. And there, there, were, there are people, too, who react to this stuff. There was somebody who was saying, like, Oh, my God, all these new people are going to come to the case who haven't been following it for five years like us. Oh, my God, all these new people are going to be interested in it. 
and they haven't put the time in, you know, like us. Like I've been following this case for five years. Like it becomes like an obscure band to them. You know, it, it's the endless pursuit of jewels that I always talk about on here where anything can become a jewel. People can become possessive of anything and gatekeep anything, even the murder of two girls. Where, like, everybody knows it's annoying when a Johnny-come-lately shows up and is, like, asking questions that everybody already knows the answer to. Like, everybody's been at some sort of event where there's a speaker and someone comes in late and asks a question that has already been answered. But still, it's like, that makes sense why you'd be irritated. Like, oh, hey, if you, well, if you had been here on time, you would have heard the answer to that, that it was already addressed. But with something like this, it's like, there are people who are gatekeeping a murder case. Where they're like, oh, because this guy got arrested, all these new people are showing up who, who haven't been following the case. They haven't devoted themselves to this case for the last five years. Usually those people are lying anyway. You know, usually that, that sort of person who's like, I've been following this case for five years. They've probably been following it for five months. The sort of person who gatekeeps shit like that, they're usually lying anyway. You know, it's what I said about posers. We're like, growing up, like when someone like attacked a poser, like when someone was like, oh, I'm into real punk. I'm into real punk. And anybody who likes Blink-182 is a poser. The sort of person who said that, they were into Blink-182 yesterday. Like they were into Blink-182 two days ago. That's why they're attacking people who are into Blink-182. The same thing with a murder case, interestingly enough, where it's like the sort of person who's going to be like, oh, there's all these new people interested in the case who don't know anything and they haven't put the time in. You know, it's like, yeah, you probably found out about it a month ago. I mean, I didn't even start paying attention to this case until earlier this year. I think I had heard about it in passing, but I hadn't actually sat down and read about the case. And I think it was like February or something, maybe, maybe at the... Yeah, I mean, I think it was the beginning of this year I started reading about it. But you delude yourself. I mean, it's what I was saying in the episode about lying. Like, you lie to yourself in so many different ways. Where it's like, th like people convince themselves that, like, they're any different than that person. And I, this is all petty stuff. Like, I'm just commenting on, like, people's online comments. Like, the gutter of the internet. But it does tell you about human psychology, and that's why I'm interested in it. I'm interested in why people react the way they do. And you can see that the sort of person who's doing that, because like, I, I specifically saw a post from somebody where they're like, I'm going to have to take a break from all this because there's so many new people getting interested in it. And they, they just haven't spent time with the case for the last five years like we have. It's a jewel to them. They're getting some sort of personal meaning out of this case. They're, it's, it's like informing their identity in some way. It's almost like a religion to them or, or a hobby or an interest. And, you know, you can always, you know, and, and I'm not somebody either, though, who's going to be like, everybody has to just think about those little girls 
this whole time. Like, I think it's okay to take an interest in the case, like, beyond that. Because, I mean, there's some people who follow these things, and, and they're always like, the only thing that's important is justice for these little girls, which I, I think everybody with a rational brain and a decent heart would agree with that. Of course, what matters in this case is these girls were brutally killed by a savage and their families have suffered and they need justice. That said, I mean, I, I think it's okay to like to take a deeper interest in it beyond that and be like, what can we find out? Like what 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 is there to learn from this beyond I, I don't know. I mean I don't even know what point I'm making. I'm just saying like you can you can kind of get obsessed with these things. You you can you can want to know details that you as an outsider don't need to know. I think it's okay to kind of. I guess what I'm getting at is like I don't think it's entirely wrong to see these cases as sort of a personal hobby where you you want to learn as much as possible. Where it gets haywire is when you start reacting emotionally, not just to. Not just to like uh, the information that you're learning, but also to like other people coming into contact with this case. Like th that person who was like, oh my God, there's all these new people getting interested in it who, who, who haven't been devoted to it for the last five years. Even though that person's probably lying and they've been interested for like a year or like five months. That just shows you something is very wrong with that person. But yet it's completely normal. A lot of people respond to a lot of things that way. I saw that happen with the uh, original Night Stalker. Where, you know, by the time he got caught, like the, uh, the Golden State Killer name was being used. That was like Michelle McNamara came up with that. And she did a lot to publicize that case. You know, Michelle McNamara, Pat Oswalt's wife, she died of like a prescription overdose or something before the case got solved. She brought a lot of publicity. Like she had written a uh, a really incredible article for, I think it was like the LA Weekly or LA Times that brought a lot of, of new publicity to that case when it was still unsolved. She didn't solve the case though. And you know, she had nothing to do with the case actually being solved. She just brought some attention to it. But there were a lot of people who were like, Patton Oswalt's wa dead wife solved the case. And as somebody who followed the case, like I was like, oh, you know, that's not what happened. But I didn't really care. Like, I wasn't going to respond to that by being like, she did not solve the case. She brought a lot of publicity to the case. She did not solve it. You know, I could feel that pulling at me, though. As someone who had followed that case very closely, I could feel, like, myself wanting to react that way. But I was like, it doesn't fucking matter. If they want to think that Patton Oswalt's dead wife was the, Nance, the little Nancy Drew who solved this case, let him. If that makes for a better story, oh well. But you could also see where, like, I, I can see where, where, like, these things become a jewel to you. Like, where all of a sudden this case that, even, like, people I knew who were in, into true crime, and I know a ton of people. Like, I know a lot of women, I know a lot of dudes who are interested in serial killers. 
whenever I would talk to them about the original Night Stalker, they didn't even know who it was. You know, and and I didn't even find out about it until considerably late myself. Like probably, I don't know, like 2013, 2000, I don't know when. So it was even relatively late. I had never heard of this case. Part of that is because they didn't even link the murders through DNA until I think the 2000s. So it wasn't even, the murders weren't even positively linked until way later. So that's one of the reasons. But but anyway, uh, all of a sudden, like when Joseph D'Angelo got arrested, all of a sudden this was, you know, everybody suddenly knew about it. And you can see where like that that unique jewel that you want to protect, that instinct kicks in, even about something as ridiculous as a serial killer. Well, like something kicks in where you're like, I knew about him first. That sort of like, it's like the classic thing that people accuse hipsters of, whatever. Like, I knew about that band before before you did. I knew about that band before they were famous. You know, just that cliche thing that everybody notices with certain subjects. I knew about it before you. But we do that with everything. That's my point, is we even do that with true crime cases where someone was murdered we go i knew about that see we will kill them before you which what the fuck does that matter like is your ego so tiny is it so petty i mean i guess i guess it would be a, a big ego not a tiny ego what's the difference who, who even knows how to measure the ego no but i mean is is your confidence in who you are are you that insecure that like you have to I knew about the seal we will kill before everybody else. But I understand that impulse. Like I'm not I'm not even it's just that like you have to get beyond that. Otherwise you're you're very unwell. And because uh, I, I remember like somebody I knew who who was interested, like one of the few people I knew who was interested in uh, the Joseph D'Angelo case before he was identified and arrested, made a comment when he was arrested. They were like, well, I I remember when he was still called the original Night Stalker, East Area Rapist. Like it kind of tells you like when somebody got interested in that case. Like if somebody, if somebody calls him the Golden State Killer, which was a later invention, you can tell they probably learned about the case later. Whereas if you think of him as the East Area Rapist, original Night Stalker, you probably got into the case earlier. So it becomes this sort of like, oh, like, I remember when he was still called the East Area Rapist. I remember when I got into it before you did. But if we do that about serial killers, if we do that about murderers, we truly will do that about anything. We truly, our ego will truly latch on to anything. And it's like, what difference is it? Because like, the thing is, too, there are some things you want to protect. Like, there are some things that you want to gatekeep. You know, it makes total sense that there are some things in life that you kind of want to protect, but you got you to gotta choose them very carefully. And if you're if if you think you need to gatekeep a serial killer or a guy who murdered two girls in Indiana, like if you think that you need to like 
try to elevate yourself because you knew about the case before other people, you're not doing well. You're probably not doing well. It's a natural instinct to do that, but you're not, you're not doing okay. There's a lot wrong. And so I'm very interested in those sorts of responses, like seeing somebody respond that way when this guy got arrested, that their first impulse, and I don't think this is the only person, I think this is a lot of people, but that their first impulse was, I knew about the case first and these new people need to, you know, back off. If you're new to the case, you need to back off. If you're new to the case, you need to back off. You know, that attitude. It tells me that person's not very well. Just like these girls who are going on to the wife's Facebook page or the fucking son-in-law. That's where I knew, like, oh, these people are sick. To go to the son-in-law's page, this, like, 21-year-old Filipino dude in Indiana... He just found out his father-in-law probably killed these two little girls. Who? who that, guy, that guy was probably dropped out of a plane yesterday. God just dropped that young Filipino man down. He married this girl. He ended up in Indiana, of all places. Just so happens his father-in-law probably brutally murdered two little girls in what's one of the most publicized murder cases in the state's history. And now he has random 28-year-old women reacting to all of his photos with an angry emoji, commenting on his photos saying, how could you not know? How could you not know your father-in-law killed those girls? You piece of shit. But you can see where, like, this anger, it's, it's like I was talking about with, like, politicians' kids. We want to implicate people's families. We want to blame the families. We want, we want to torment them. I think, I think it, I, what it is, I think, I think they want to kill them. And women are vicious. You know... As I always like to point out, it's like men are the rapists and killers of the world. You know, men are the rapists and killers of the world. There's no question about that. But the viciousness of women is often overlooked. And you see this in true crime in particular, the the quote-unquote true crime community, which is a woman-dominated territory. You know, women, women are obsessed with true crime and they're the ones, I mean, like I, when I was interested in that stuff for years, like I would check out serial killer websites, serial killer message boards on occasion. When men are interested in it, it tends to be a little more clinical. What can we learn about this case? Oh, interesting. Did you know this about the killer? There's a lot of women who take that approach too. But it's women who who like it it's as true crime especially online has become a more woman dominated sphere. That's when you start to hear phrases like the true crime community. 
I don't think men would ever say that. They'd be like, oh, we're the true crime community because we talk about serial killers online. That's, that's a very feminine touch. And, uh, you know, most of my close female friends are obsessed with true crime. I'm not, this is, is not an indictment of them. I mean, a good friend of mine was telling me all his wife does is watch true crime stuff, listen to true crime podcasts. There's nothing wrong with it. But, you know, since we're seeing women dominate that interest, we're also seeing like what sort of interest they have in it. And this Delphi case, a lot of the people obsessed with it are women. And so I've I've gotten a dose of that just reading about it. And there, there's often a, it's very it's a very emotional thing. And it's not that, that all these women who are interested in it are the same women who are going to go to the wife's Facebook page and attack her because her husband killed somebody, but they're a byproduct of that. And there's a viciousness to it. There, there's this viciousness that comes out of it, this visceral reaction where, oh, this guy killed these girls or likely killed these girls. Oh, we found his wife's Facebook page. Let's go throw rotten fruit at her. Let's make her life that much more miserable. What a horrible thing to do. You don't know anything about this woman. Her freaking son-in-law, too. You're going to their page. Let's throw rotten fruit at them. Let's attack them. Let's make them want to kill themselves. Because I was thinking, like, this all happened the day of the arrest. This wife and daughter and son-in-law, like, they just found out that a man they love is capable of horrible violence. And he apparently had no history. The only things that have come out about him are that, like, he had an alcohol problem there might have been some uh, some domestic violence. I don't. I don't even know though. I don't think he has an arrest record. So, any problems that were going on with him seemed to be relatively normal. And they just found out that he likely brutally murdered two little girls in a in a case that they know all about in their small little town. So they're reeling from that. They're they're probably in shock. And people immediately find their Facebook pages and just start throwing rotten fruit at them. Spiked rotten fruit. Because they want to hurt these people. These young women who are commenting and reacting with angry emojis, which what the fuck does that mean? I can't imagine being angry and, and like expressing that through an angry emoji. An angry emoji. As if that's like an actual expression of your anger. The self-righteousness. But it's like then you pile on these people who are dealing with the worst moment in their lives. Something that will probably ruin their lives forever to some extent. They will never completely recover from that. You know, they'll never recover from the fact that their husband and dad turned out to be a vicious murderer of children. And you think the right thing to do is to shame and attack them. Who knows the story? But before you even know the story, 
you want to humiliate and attack them. And you think about this family too. It's like they probably, because I was actually thinking about this. I was like, they probably, uh, like everybody, they probably like use Facebook on their phones. So while they're still in shock, like they're probably getting notification after notification after notification. And like, the first thing you're going to do in that situation isn't going to be, oh, I better deactivate Facebook. It's going to be like, holy shit, I can barely think. I can barely move. And what's funny is like, if these women who were attacking the wife and daughter, when I looked at their Facebook pages, they were the same sort of women who were like, I'm an empath. Oh, well, see, I, I'm an empath. Vote Democrat. And that whole like self-identified empath thing, like I, I've I've identified that as a, as a toxic trait for a long time. I mean, I worked with this woman, like mid forties lesbian. We got along, but she was always talking about how she was an empath. First person I ever met, this is like 10 years, over 10 years ago, always talking about how she was an empath. Always talking about empathy. Oh, I think the world would be better if more people had empathy. She ended up being the most toxic, and I hate to use that word, it's so overused, but she ended up being like the most toxic coworker. She had no empathy for anybody. She was constantly playing people in the workplace against each other. She was manipulating the boss. She was getting into other people's business. She was like finding out gossip and using it, using it against coworkers, playing people against each other. This is the same woman who wouldn't shut up about empathy. Oh, you just got to have empathy. Oh, well, as an empath, I feel things a lot stronger than other people. Other people's situations make me feel very strongly because I'm an empath. A lot of people who say that are, are manipulative. And to me, this is so obvious that it just goes without saying. But it wasn't a surprise to me that some of the very people I saw who were attacking this wife and daughter of this murderer, some of the attackers, they were the same sort of people who you go to their Facebook page and they're like, we just need to have empathy. Oh, well, as, as, as an empath, they, they're using this therapy language. Of course those people aren't what they think they are. Of course, like, anybody can have empathy. Because, I mean, you look at that situation. Any decent person, any halfway decent person is going to have empathy toward the victim's family. That's easy. Like, you think about the family whose daughters were murdered by this guy. If you can't feel empathy toward them, you're truly fucked up beyond belief. But it, but it's not a very rigorous test of your empathy. Like that's easy. Like that that's like a that's like beginner level empathy. If you can't empathize with a family who had their kids murdered savagely, that's just like a beginner level test of your empathy. But if you're going around, if you're one of these young women who's like, I'm an empath. Did you know I'm an empath? Did you know I'm a good person? 
And you can't empathize with the family of the murderer who were likely blindsided by this. I don't even think that's a difficult test of the empathy. I think that's more intermediate. I think that's more mid-level. I don't think it should be difficult to empathize with the family of the murderer. 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 I don't think it should be difficult to do that. It might not be as easy as the victim's family. But if you consider yourself an empath, it shouldn't be that difficult to empathize with the murderer's family. And even if you can't empathize with them, you certainly should have the internal resistance to to avoid to you know to stop yourself from attacking them. But you can see there's something primal in people like you know you'd always hear stories about like everyone gathering in the town square in these in the middle ages to watch somebody be humiliated or executed. You know, at least growing up, it seemed like everybody looked back on that as if it was, oh, you know, so far in the past, people used to be so stupid. Oh, back in the Middle Ages when all the villagers would throw fruit at the man in the pillory. Oh, when they'd gather in the town square to watch somebody be hanged and celebrate. Oh, they were such savages back then. Back then? You know, this is still how people think. I mean, you can even see this with with politics. I mean, I'm not going to get into politics here, but like you can even see it with that. You can see it with so-called cancel culture. You can see where people greatly enjoy not just attacking people, but attacking people who are down. And going back to the empathy thing, like beginner level empathy is identifying with the victim's family or feeling what they're feeling or understanding what they're going through. That's that's beginner level empathy. Like if you can't empathize with a victim's family in a murder case, you know, you truly have no empathy. But I think like identifying with the murderer's family and understanding that they're blindsided by this, this is a tragedy for them. This is a painful thing for them. That's not difficult. That's like medium level empathy, just being like, okay, they're victims too in their own way. I think like hard level empathy is empathizing with the killer. And I don't think you even need to do that in most cases. I don't think that most people need to go there. But if you are an empath, you sh- if you if you pride yourself on your ability to empathize you should be able to empathize even with the killer that doesn't mean supporting them that doesn't mean celebrating them but it means like understanding that this is a human being too but i don't think most people need to go there i don't think we need to do that that's kind of what i've realized like sometimes you'll hear a story about somebody you'll hear you'll hear a story about a killer I mean, the Joseph D'Angelo case is a good one because one of his nephews came out and said that when Joseph D'Angelo, the original Night Stalker, when he was a little boy, his family was stationed on, on a foreign Air Force base and he witnessed two drunk airmen 
rape his little sister, who was just a little girl. And his nephew said that his mom told him this before she died, that like when she was a little girl, these two military guys at the Air Force Base raped her in front of her brother, who ended up becoming the serial killer. That makes you go, okay, this guy, you know, while other people might experience that and not become rapists and serial killers like Joseph D'Angelo, this guy witnessed something horribly fucked up. And that might have just been one one of many things that fucked him up. It doesn't mean that you that it's not a it's not a justification for what he did. Because he witnessed the the horrible rape of his little sister when they were kids. It's not a justification for the fact that he became a serial killer and rapist himself. But where empathy comes in, if you want to use that word truly as it's meant to be used where empathy comes in says this guy had a had a rough human experience that somehow contributed to this guy being so fucked up to to his pathology in some way it doesn't justify it doesn't excuse and if you are truly an empath you know the difference you know the difference between empathy versus excusing something, justifying something. You know, you know that empathy is not justification. It doesn't excuse anything. It's understanding. And you can understand why someone's horrible formative experiences like that may have made them into what they are doesn't mean it's okay that he became what he became. But um, I don't think most people need to go there either. I don't think the average person needs to empathize with a, a monster or someone who committed acts of evil. I don't think society at, at large really should. But if you're going to pride yourself on being an empath who has some sort of advanced ability to understand anybody and everybody and, and what makes them what they are, you should be able to do it even with the worst people. But the truth is, most people only need a basic level of empathy. You only need to empathize with people who have been victims or who are adjacent to a killer but not responsible themselves, like, like a killer's family. But it's interesting, like, it's always interesting to me to see the, these, like, young women who are obsessed with true crime and mental health and, you know, therapy, and they use all this therapy language, and they're the ones who hop on Facebook and throw the spiked rotten fruit at this guy's family. Just kind of wild that that demographic is drawn to that. But uh, I don't have too much more to say with this. I don't know. I, I whenever something like this happens, it's like I'm I'm interested in the story of the killer, who he was, what actually happened in this case. But I also find myself very fascinated in the psychology of other observers. What it's like is it's like. When I would go to football games with my dad, growing up going to Seahawk games, I was just a kid, 
I obviously was really, I loved football, so I was interested in the game and what was going on in the game. But I found myself looking around at the crowd too. And I was like, all these people are at the football game for the same basic reason. We all want to watch two NFL teams play. But it's interesting like how people experience it differently. Like that some people are just screaming. Some people are just screaming at the field. Some people are just quietly watching the game. Some people are fighting. I saw a guy get hogtied whenever the Raiders would come to town, because at that point the Seahawks and the Raiders were still in the same division. Whenever the Raiders would come to town, there was always this intense rivalry and drunk fan, drunk Raiders fans would fight Seahawks fans. And I, I remember seeing a, I don't remember if he was a Seahawks fan or a Raiders fan. I think he was a Raiders fan. Hey, Batty. I was vicious. Uh, he, he got in a fight up in the stands above us, behind us. And a group of cops hogtied him and carried him down the stairs horizontally, face down. It was the funniest thing I ever saw. It was like this man just got hogtied and, and carried down horizontally like a piece of luggage by like five cops. But that guy was at the same event we were. Like my dad and I would get excited and we would shout and stuff when you were supposed to shout. But it's like some people go to a football game and they start fights. Some people get drunk and scream. Some people get really emotional. You know, it's like we're all watching the same game for the same reason. But it's like the way people react to that game is all so different. So as a kid, I would just look around and I'd be like, yeah, you know, there's all these. You're seeing people's psychology on full display at a football game. It's kind of what it's like with this, too, where I was following this case. I was very interested in in its developments for whatever reason. I don't follow any other true crime cases. I just something about this Delphi case caught my interest and I've looked into it, followed it a little bit this year. But when this guy got arrested the other day, it wasn't just that like, oh, I'm interested in what the new developments are. I'm also very fascinated by how other people react to it. And for better and for worse. Because you can see, you know, I'm, I'm talking about all this, all these people who have clearly have a screw loose. But there's also people who react and they just try to get the best information. You know, there's a lot of people who are, are very good, who are very rational. Like, they're interested in this case, but they're just trying to get accurate information about it and present that accurately. Oh, here, here's what we know. Here are the facts. I appreciate those people a lot. But they share this interest with people who are getting onto Facebook and attacking the man's family. They share this interest with people who are like, I don't know if I can handle new people getting interested in the case because I've been interested for five years. These people aren't true followers of the Delphi murder case. I can't handle new people who don't know anything showing up just because an arrest was made. It's like, 
sane people share this interest with completely insane people. And I find that very interesting. I, I find, I find, you know, <laughs> the last few years, honestly, I feel like my main hobby is, is just kind of watching people from afar. Just kind of like, how do people react to different situations? You know, and uh, the last thing I want to do is react to them. But I do find myself, I'm just like, you know, just observing this. Just seeing how different types of people react to the same thing is always very interesting to me. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.